We live in a fast-paced world that's constantly changing. Entire industries are built upon the idea that every year their products need to be faster, sleeker, and have more bells and whistles. But did you know that the ever-growing need for change can have deep and devastating effects upon our society and in our churches? So what's a Christian to do? Well, that's what we'll discover today on Through the Bible with our teacher, Dr. J. Vernon McGee. I'm Steve Schwetz, and I invite you to turn in your copy of God's Word to Nehemiah chapter 3, beginning at verse 4. And as you do, I want to share a couple of letters from our fellow passengers on the Bible bus. First, we hear from Nona in Diablo, California. Twenty years ago, I took an introduction to the Bible class at our church. At the end, the teacher suggested that we read through the Bible over the summer. My intentions were good, so I read Genesis and Exodus with much enthusiasm. But when I arrived at Leviticus, I didn't understand it. I just couldn't get through it. Then, as God would have it, I heard Dr. McGee when I was looking for a talk radio show during the day. There it was, that infamous voice explaining Leviticus, and it made sense. I've been listening ever since. Now that my husband is retired, we listen on my iPad when we eat breakfast every morning. Thank you all for having so many ways to hear God. May he bless you all. Well, thanks for your letter, Nona. It's great to have you and your husband join us on the Bible bus. Next, we've got a note from Hazel in Westminster, California. I started on the Bible bus in 1981 and rode for a number of years. I can't remember why, but at some point I stopped. In 2009, my husband died of stomach cancer, although I didn't blame God. I also didn't really handle the grieving well. A few years after that, I was diagnosed with rheumatoid arthritis, and it frankly helped get my attention, and I turned to the Lord and asked Him to strengthen my walk with Him. So I hopped back on the Bible bus and have been so blessed. I have started through the Bible with others and want to share a praise report about a young man in Ironwood State Prison that I have corresponded with over about four years. Recently, I asked you to send Dr. McGee's notes and outlines to him, and today I received a letter saying he received the lessons in John and is now on the Bible bus too. Our God is great. Thank you for reaching out to him. Please put a word of prayer out to our community for those in prison to hear and come to walk with our Lord. Thank you for all your work. I'm praying the ministry will be blessed all the more. Well, thank you, Hazel. That's such an encouraging letter. And finally, we hear from Cheryl in St. Paul, Minnesota. I thoroughly enjoy Dr. McGee's teaching. There is something about the way he explains Scripture that truly makes it real and understandable. The Bible becomes alive and real and practical in everyday life. My favorite line is when Dr. McGee says, God said it, I believe it, and that's that. I love the no-compromise attitude. May we all feel the same. Praise the Lord. And yes, praise the Lord, Cheryl. Thanks for encouraging us with your great story. How is our time in God's Word impacting your life? Is there a specific verse or study that's been particularly meaningful? Well, please tell us about it. You can email us at BibleBus at ttb.org or send your note to Box 7100, Pasadena, California, 91109. In Canada, Box 25325, London, Ontario, N6C, 6B1. Now let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you that your word doesn't return void, that when we hear it, it has the power to accomplish what you want it to do in our lives. As we study today, Lord, may your spirit seek out the dark places of our hearts and then remind us to turn to you in repentance and faith. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Here now is our study of Nehemiah 3 on Through the Bible with Dr. J. Vernon McGee. Now, friends, we began last time in chapter 3 of Nehemiah. 
a tour through the gates of Jerusalem. We said there are ten of those gates. We began last time with the sheep gate. The sheep gate speaks of the cross of Christ. That's where we begin with God. We have to come there. He meets us at the cross. That's the only place that God has a meeting for the world with him. The Lord Jesus made it clear. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh to the Father but by me. Now, you come to him at the sheep gate, the cross of Christ. Now, when you accept and receive him as Savior, then he wants to talk to you about something else. The fish gate came next, and he says, I want you to follow me, and I'll make you fishers of man. And there are different ways that you can become a fisher of man, as we indicated last time. Now, when we come down here to verse 4, we just have a list of individuals given. And it's wonderful. They're recorded in the book of life. I'm not going to read the verse because it's just an exercise in pronunciation. And very candidly, someone has raised with me the question about pronunciation of these Old Testament names. I do not think you can be dogmatic. Now, you may have a self pronouncing Bible, and I use one too, I'm very frank to confess, and I attempt to follow it. But I think that you can't be dogmatic. No one can be, and that's the reason there is a difference in pronunciation that's given by different ones of these words here. But these are individuals known only to God, and they're going to be rewarded someday the fact that they helped build a wall of Jerusalem. But notice verse 5. It says, and next unto them, the Tekoites repaired, but their nobles put not their necks to the work of the Lord. <laughs> now, these nobles, they thought they were too good to do this type of work. Or they may have had some other excuse. They had lily white hands, and they didn't think lifting those stones in the walls of Jerusalem. And friends, if you've seen those stones in the walls of Jerusalem, you marvel at these individuals, and you sort of maybe have a little sympathy for the nobles of the Tekoites. They just wouldn't put their necks to the work. You know, it took a lot of manpower to move those stones, and there was a lot of grunting and groaning, and there were a lot of sore backs and sore hands, sore feet. And in fact, they were just sore all over from this. And these nobles, they just thought they were too good for that type of work. And anyway, they were shirkers. And they fell down on the job. And they were right next to the fish gate. And that's where you're to be a witness. And they were not witnesses for God at all. I don't know about you. I'd sure hate to have been in that group. I'd hate to have it recorded in the eternal word of God that I didn't do what he called me to do. And there are a great many today, I'm afraid, in the church that are not doing what God's called them to do. Now, they're saved. We're not discussing salvation. I hope you understand that. I'll go along. They're saved. But my, they're not doing anything. They're not serving him. And the writer to the Proverbs in Proverbs eleven twenty six says, He that withholdeth corn, the people shall curse him. It's a terrible thing to hold back the word of God. My friend, have you ever stopped to think of this? Read this verse carefully again. He that withholdeth corn, the people shall curse him. Now, we are told that there'll be certain people that in eternity, they're going to rise up as children and call him blessed. And I think there are going to be people who will rise up in hell 
and cursed some folk who went to heaven because they withheld corn from them. He that withholdeth corn, the people shall curse him. Now, today, some people are withholding corn. The Word of God is the corn, and they're withholding it from those that are hungry. He said, follow me. I'll make you fishers of man. We're going to get in his will today. Somewhere along the line, friends, we're going to be involved in a movement that's getting out the Word of God. No one of us can do it. We just have to have a whole lot of help in getting it out. Now, we come to the third gate that's mentioned, and we're told here, verse 6, Moreover, the old gate repaired Jehoiada, the son of Paseah, and Meshulam, the son of Bethsaidah. They laid the beams thereof, set up the doors thereof, the locks thereof, and the bars thereof. Well, now we see here that the old gate is mentioned. I told a friend when he and I first time visited the old city of Jerusalem and saw the gate, I said, I'd like to know which is the old gate, because they all look old to me. Every one of them is an old gate. But now this was an old gate, and it was one that had been there from the very beginning. And this group repaired it. Now, the old gate speaks to us of, well, let me read what Jeremiah says. In Jeremiah six sixteen. Thus saith the Lord, Stand ye in the ways, and see, and ask for the old paths. Where is the good way? And walk therein. Ye shall find rest for your souls. Now, we're living in a day that's interested in the thing that's new. We just have to have the latest model in an automobile, the latest thing in fashions, and the latest things for the house. man said to me the other day, and it's his fetish to be wearing the latest thing in clothes. And he said to me, I noticed that you have a narrow lapel, and today they're wearing a wide lapel. Well, that doesn't make any difference to me about a lapel on a coat. It makes a lot of difference to him because a lot of people... They're interested in the latest thing in fashion and the latest things for the house. My, the man said to me about my home, and it's 21 years old, but he says, you have an old place, don't you? Well, I thought it was new. Now, may I say, my house that's 21 years old, to me, it's not an old house. In the South, I lived in a house that was 100 years old. Now, in Southern California, it's already an old house. And you just need a new one these days. Now, we're living in a day when things are changing radically and rapidly. And the conditions under which our grandfathers proposed to our grandmothers are vastly different from those under which the young folk of the present day deal with the matter. You know, morality is changing. They talk about new morality. But it was even old in the time of Noah. This constant search for something new today is the thing that's leading us to frustration. And it's the thing that's taken many folk down the garden path to a dead-end street with no purpose in life whatsoever. What do we need to do? Jeremiah says we need to ask for the old paths. And there's where we'll find rest for our soul. Great many people are running to psychiatrists and running to this thing and that thing and a new gimmick and a new gadget and what they need to do is to come to the one who says, Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, I'll rest you. Take my yoke upon you. Learn of me, for I'm meek and lowly, and you'll find rest for your soul. 
My friend, that's the place you're going to find it today. And we need to get back. The human heart needs something greater than this mechanical, this electronic, this push-button age in which we live. We need to get back to the old paths. Now, notice what we're told next here in this. We're told in verse 8, Next unto him repaired Uziel, the son of Harhiah, of the goldsmiths. Now, does that ever impress you as being unusual? Well, the stones in the walls of Jerusalem, as I've said, were tremendous. They were big. They must have weighed quite a bit. Now, goldsmiths, they sat at benches and worked at little pieces of gold that you had to look at under a microscope. And they weren't accustomed working at these big stones. And I think it is hard work for the goldsmith. But they did it, and God took note of it and recorded here that the goldsmiths, this is what they did. They worked with those big heavy stones, and it is hard work for them. There are folk today that are making real sacrifices for God, and it's hard for them, my friend, but God takes note of it. And then note the next group here in verse 8 again. Next unto him also repaired Hananiah, the son of one of the apothecaries. And they fortified Jerusalem under the broad wall. Now, an apothecary is a druggist. They're pill rollers, you know, little pills. Why, none of them are bigger than you can swallow. They have to be little bitty fellas. And then they're out there working with these great big stones. God took note of them, and God recorded it. I want to tell you, these men were really rock and rollers. They took these great big stones, tried to roll them like little pills. And they were in the rock and roll department. And I don't believe in rock and roll myself, except this kind. I like to see those today that are really putting their necks to the work who have to grunt and groan in the Lord's work, who are really doing something for him. I have talked to several pastors today that are really a man of God that are killing themselves in the work. I had a wonderful friend in Southern California. He had a heart attack and died. He just killed himself in the work of the Lord. He was a real man of God. And I know others today. And I said to a pastor, I'm on a tour made up north. Well, I spoke to three or four of them. I said, look, brother, I know something about what you're going through, and you're overworking. You're doing too much. You better slow down. That's the thing that you ought to do. And, friend, if you've got a pastor like that, a good pastor that's doing too much, go to him. Put your arm around him. That'll scare him to death. But do it just the same. That may give him a heart attack. Put your arm around him. Tell him you're praying for him, and if he is overdoing, telling him not to overdo in these days. These men, they're needed today. And these are the pill rollers and the goldsmiths. Now let's move on down. And when we move on down, friends, we come here to the valley gate. I think maybe you ought to see something else. We have the women's liberation movement today, and they had it in Jerusalem in that day. Verse 12, And next unto him repaired Shalem, the son of Halohesh, the ruler of the half part of Jerusalem, he and his daughters. Well, these girls belong to the women's liberation movement. They said, we're going out and help build the walls of Jerusalem. Men do it, we're going to do it. And I believe that if women want to do men's work, let's let them do it. 
but let's make sure they're going to do it all. May I say to you, the freedom came in these girls going out and doing that for God. Now, I don't believe in women preachers. I'm allergic to them. And I've carried on a battle here in Southern California. It's been a friendly battle with women preachers. Many of them tell me, they were writing and tell me, we're praying for you. We just think you're narrow-minded about this. Well, I just don't believe in it. But always think of the story of the late Dr. Ironside. He was walking with one of his brethren up here in Oakland, California, through a park. And there was a woman up there preaching. And this brethren fellow said to him, Why isn't it a shame that woman's there preaching? Dr. Ironside said this. He says, It's a shame that there's not a man to take her place. And I said to one of our missionaries down in South America, she wrote me, she said, they put me out here in a mission station and there's no one that can preach. And I've been preaching and I've wondered whether I'm doing right. And so I wrote to her, I said, look, you just keep preaching till the Lord sends along a man. And I'm going to pray that the Lord will send along a man. Maybe that you'll get a husband this way. But you do it just long as there's no one else around. And that is the thing, these girls, this man, he didn't have any sons. They were all daughters. And they out there building the walls of Jerusalem, and God took note of it, and God recorded Then we have, verse 13, the valley gate. The valley gate repaired Hanan and the inhabitants of Zenoah. And let me just stop with that gate for just a moment. Now, the valley gate, that's the gate that led out of the city, Jerusalem, down into the valley. And it could have been on any side because... You have to go down the valley to get out of Jerusalem. And it's the gate through which many of us are called to go. I think of the valley of the shadow of death. And I think we're all walking in that, and that's what David meant. The minute you start out in life, you're walking down that canyon that just keeps getting narrower and narrower. Well, finally, if the Lord doesn't come, you're going to go right out through that gate. And that's the valley gate. But it also has a practical side. It's a gate of humility, the gate of humbleness. And God sometimes has to lead us down through trials and difficulties in order that we can learn the lesson. We are told that faith develops in us these different virtues, and one of them is lowliness of mind. And when he wrote to the Colossians, he called it humbleness of mind. Now, if this is something you can't cultivate, you can't put it on, it has to come from the inside, and it's a fruit of the Holy Spirit. The man says, you know, I've been trying. said to his friend, says, I've been trying to be humble. The last I've succeeded. The friend says, well, I know you're proud of that. And he said, I sure am. You know, we have to be humbled, as it were, by the Spirit of God. Stories told about that minister in Scotland. Young fellow, he was leading young fellow in his class in seminary. While he was still a student, he was invited out to preach in a pulpit. And he'd never preached before. And he thought since he was the star pupil, he didn't need much preparation. But when he got up before that congregation, it was confusion. He found out that it's easy to get up a sermon on paper in his study, but to get up and deliver it was another thing. And he became frightened. He forgot everything he ever knew. And he left the pulpit at the close of the sermon in great shame and humility. And when he went down, a dear little Scotch lady who'd watched every movement and every moment of his actions from the moment he entered his pulpit till he came out. And when he did, she went up to him and said, Young man, if you'd only gone into the pulpit as you came down, you would have come down like you went up. You know, God has to put us in the school 
of humility. It's a fruit of the Spirit. And that's a gate that many of us need to go through. Now, in the same verse, and the next one we have mentioned, but the dung gate repaired Malchiah. Now, that's an important gate, but you don't say much about it. And by the way, the dung gate today is the where you get into the wailing wall at Jerusalem. But it was not that in that day. It obviously was around on the other side where it went into the valley of Gehenna. But that's where it is today. Now, the dung gate is where the filth is carried out. The garbage is taken out. Now, in our Christian lives, the garbage will accumulate. Paul says in 2 Corinthians 7, 1, "...having therefore these promises, dearly beloved..." Let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. Paul dealt with this gate in the Christian life as much as any other. You and I need to recognize that we need to confess our sins. And to confess our sins means to get the garbage out. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Now, in verse 15, we have the next gate, but the gate of the fountain repaired Shalem. Now, the gate of the fountain, that refers, I think, to what the Lord meant when he said to the woman at the well, Whosoever drinketh of the water that I shall give him shall never thirst, but the water that I shall give him shall be in him a well of water springing up, into everlasting life. And you remember yonder at the Feast of Tabernacles, he stood up and he said, He that believeth on me, as the Scripture said, out of his belly or his inmost being shall flow rivers of living water. Now John explains this figure. This spake he of the Spirit, which they that believe on him should receive. And Paul could say in Romans 8 9, If any man have not the Spirit of Christ, he's none of his. Now, the gate of the fountain, therefore, teaches the fact that every believer is indwelt by the Spirit of God, that he needs an infilling of the Spirit of God, and that when he is filled with the Spirit, that it's not just a well, but a fountain of living water will gush out to be a blessing to other people. And that's what we all ought to be in these days in which we live. Now, when you read down through that chapter, which I'm not going to do today, But you'll come in verse 26 to the seventh gate. And we're told, moreover, the Nathanims dwelt in Ophel under the place over against the water gate toward the east and toward the tower that lieth out. Now, the water gate is where the water was brought into the city. They were able to get some of it in by aqueduct, but not all of it. And it was brought in through the water gate. Now, what does the water gate speak to us of? Well... The water gate, I think, speaks of the Word of God. It was here that Ezra put up a pulpit. And we'll see that when we get a little farther along in this book. He put up a pulpit at the water gate and read from the Word of God. The very gate he put it up was symbolic. And it wasn't an accident. And the New Testament, I think, makes it very clear when it speaks of the washing of water by the Word. The Lord Jesus said to his own in the upper room, Now ye are clean through the word which I have spoken unto them. John 15, 3, and then John 17, 17 says, Sanctify them through thy truth, thy word is true. So that the water gate is the word of God. 
And that's the gate we're trying to go through to get the Word of God out. And we need some water boys. We need some to help us get the water out today. My, how wonderful this is. Now we're going to have to stop there. We're not quite through going through all the gates. We'll have eight, nine, ten, and then we're going to go back to the sheep gate. We'll see that next time. So until then, may God richly bless you, my beloved. Well, I echo Dr. McGee's invitation to join us in getting God's Word out. If you'd like to invest in this fruitful ministry through prayer and by providing a tank of gas to keep the Bible bus going in your community and worldwide, call 1-800-65-BIBLE or visit us at ttb.org forward slash give. And to invite a friend to hop aboard with you, you can call 1-800-65-BIBLE and request a pack of free Listen Bible Bus Passes. It's a small way we can each do our part in taking God's whole word to the whole world. Next time, our journey around the walls of Jerusalem continues. I'm Steve Schwetz, and Lord willing, I'll be here, and I'll save you a seat. Our story on the Bible bus today is just one step in a five-year journey through the entire Word of God. Come along for the ride, and you'll study both the Old Testament and New Testament, discovering God's great redemption story. Is this your story, too?